Hello, I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new in season, taking advantage of technology in the legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guests to provide their top three best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you but it may springboard an idea for you, and along the way, you may learn something new. In this podcast, I talk with recovering lawyer, blogger, and entrepreneur, Brett Burney. Brett is the principal of Burney Consultants, LLC, where he focuses the bulk of his time on bridging the chasm between the legal and technology frontiers of electronic discovery. This includes assisting attorneys with document databases, counseling them on electronic discovery issues, and supporting them at trial. Brett, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Michael. It is great to be with you. <laughs> and it's, it's, I'm thrilled to have you here. And a little note to the, uh, the listener, uh, Brett and I attempted to do our, pod, uh, our podcast recording uh, several weeks ago, but we had, quite frankly, so much fun <laughs> talking about right. all the stuff that we love with computers and tech and apps <laughs> and whatnot that, quite frankly, uh, it was kind of, it was a great time, but it really didn't it make great. for good recording. So. <laughs> We're, we're just going to kind of try to focus here today on the questions and get the answers and both of us will do our best not to uh, be so tangential right, in right. areas that we could talk about well, forever. No, but No promises. We'll do our yeah. best, but no promises. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so Brent, let, let, let me ask you, uh, what are three go-to smartphone apps for attorneys yeah. So uh, great. And Michael, thanks again for having me on. It's always fun and enjoyable to talk of, with you. Of course, of course. Enjoying Likewise. your podcast on here. Thanks. So uh, to, when it comes to apps, I, I got to tell you, especially over the last few months, so mm -hmm. many people have been reaching out, asking more questions about how to better incorporate their mobile devices into their practice. You know, for the most part, everybody was comfortable getting access to email, checking their calendar, right? Uh, answering phone calls, doing text messages. Everybody was able to do that, you know, pre-pandemic and they've continued to do that since then. But I, I have found that I've gotten more questions about people wanting to know, well, can I use the iPad, you know, to actually work on documents or can I use my iPhone to like look up a document that I need, you know, things like they really wanted to get that a little bit more integrated into, into their workflow. So uh, out of my three apps, number one is, is I'm, I'm answering a lot more questions these days about using Microsoft word, both on the iPhone and the iPad and frankly, even Android devices, right? Cause Microsoft right, has right, really right. done a, a good job, I think of embracing this idea that their apps can now be used on any device. Uh, so for example, I, I remember uh, you and I have known each other through the ABA Tech Show Conference, yep. right? And yep. a few years ago, 2014, because I'll never forget it, you know, 2014 I was at, in Chicago at the ABA Tech Show and I was going to give a presentation on the best apps you could use on your iPad to edit Word documents. Well, at the time, Microsoft did not have an official Microsoft Word app for the iPad. So me and my co-panelists, we were ready to talk about, we had you know four or five different apps that we like felt the best. Well, wouldn't you know it, that, that very day, the CEO of Microsoft 
had a press conference in New York and they announced finally that they are releasing the Microsoft apps for the iPad. Now, what I find it, I, 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 what I find so interesting about that is it wasn't because they finally had the technology to do that. They had the ability to do that. Right. But if, 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 if we can remember back then at that time, Microsoft had their own quote tablet devices, right? That they were selling and right. they pretty much basically kept their apps for those devices. Now, they still have those tablets. It's the Surfaces, right? It was the Microsoft yep. Surface. Yep. Although you and I both remember way back in the day, right? The Bill Gates days <laughs> when they had the tablet PC, right? That was like mm -hmm. a superset mm -hmm. on Windows XP. Right, but right. they came out with the Surface. They wanted people to buy the Surface for their tablet device and not an iPad. So I, I'm not pointing fingers at them. I under, completely understand where they were coming from. But... The new CEO, Satelia uh, Nadia, mm -hmm. Nadia, I'm sorry, I'm I wrecking his name right there. Somewhere around in there. Right, right. Super great guy. I've really enjoyed following his lead, you know, and seeing where Microsoft has gone under his leadership. But his comment, I'll never forget his phrase that he used is Microsoft were cloud first, mobile first. Or mobile first, cloud first. I can't remember exactly which way, they, but it was those two phrases. And and Michael, that just signified to really all of us that were kind of nerds on this that you know it doesn't matter now what computer or device you're using because if you know you and I use Mac computers, right? We used to have right. uh, versions of Microsoft Word that were like a year ahead or behind. You know, it wasn't the same mm -hmm. as what the software was on the Windows, but today it's all the same, right? And today right. you can get those apps available on the iPhone and the iPad and the Android. And I think they even have it for BlackBerry if you're still clinging to one of those. But the point is, is that you have the capabilities today to, to, to access and view Microsoft Word documents on your devices as well as edit them. Now, I want to talk first about the viewing component because here's one thing quickly. I talked to a lot of people about the iPad or the iPhone. We constantly are getting Word documents sent to us as email attachments, right? Now, one of the great things about an iPhone and an iPad is that there is a built-in document or file viewer in there. So if you get an email with a Word document attached, you simply can just tap it right there in your right. mail app and it opens. But here's the thing. If there are uh, comments or track changes or sometimes right. the formatting that's a little specialized, it's not gonna show correctly in that default viewer. You know, eight times out of 10, the default viewer may be just fine for what you're looking for. But, and there are some times where it's important, especially for us as legal practitioners, that we have to see the Word document look exactly the way it's supposed to look. Mm -hmm. The formatting of the document, or actually what, right. what Microsoft calls the fidelity of the document, right? It has to look right. exactly the way it's supposed to look. Plus, track changes, comments, some of that stuff are basically what we call, you know, uh, I call it uh, file level or embedded metadata, as it were. And you can only see that information by opening that file in the Microsoft Word app. So I tell people, because Microsoft offers the Word app for free, at least for iOS and all the other apps, that you might as well have it on your device. So when you run into those times where you need to view a Word document on your phone or iPad, you can just simply open the attachment in your mail app and say, open into the Word app. And that way you can see all of the information. Now, second quickly is the editing component. Now, you can do some basic edits in the Microsoft Word app, uh, the mobile app, 
for free. It comes, you can just download the free. You probably have to have a free Microsoft account, well, which wait, is like the same you. account. Yeah, go ahead. So I, it's been a little, I mean, I own a MS365 uh, That's account. That's the next step. Yes, sir. Right there. But, but, but the question is, I, I thought you couldn't say Unless you had a paid account. Uh, from what I recall, because I'm in the same boat with you, I don't use it now unless I have my Office 365 or Microsoft right. 365 right. account connected to it. But from my recollection, you can do some basic edits, mm -hmm. right? Basic edits. You can't do some, some, some really funky, you know, formatting stuff, but some basic edits and you are able to save as with a free, you have to have a free Microsoft account. Now this is the same free account that you might have for like your Xbox, right? Or for a right. Skype account. It's a free Microsoft account. You don't have to pay for it. Although the vast majority of people that you and I will be talking to today, you would be a little foolish if you don't have a subscription right. to Office 365 or Microsoft right. 365. Like today, that's how you're gonna get the software. You either have one now, are you going to get one soon? Because that's the way the software will be sold. That's the way Microsoft offers it. So if you do have an account, a subscription, mm -hmm. Office 365, they just changed it to Microsoft 365. But if you do have an account, absolutely use that account right. with your apps on the iPad and the iPhone because number one, that gives you some advanced editing components. I think right. it's like you can do columns, you know, you can do a few other things, mm -hmm. you can do track changes. That's not in the free, only if you pay for the subscription. And then, of course, you can save it into your OneDrive uh, 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 storage location. Uh, you can connect the Microsoft Word app to Dropbox, to a Box account. You can also, if your firm uses the Net Documents doc management software, you can right. connect that internally within the Word. So I know that was a lot of Word, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what, that was but a lot wait, of words wait, on you're, Word. You're forgetting one important thing about using Word on an iPad or iPhone if you have your Microsoft, excuse me, your Microsoft 365 account and that it's free, that it comes with your account. Yes. And, and, you know, which is always, which is always a big seller, but I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that was it. Oh. I oh, was okay. waiting for you. If you're oh, I've <laughs> absolutely, you but can I, actually download the apps for free with a free Microsoft right. account, right? You could do that for free. And I encourage everybody to do that again from the viewing perspective so that you have it available on your phone right. if you need to look at a document. Right. And by the way, both the iPhone app and the iPad app now also have a special reader view inside. So, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's kind of hard to see the text right. if it's a little weird formatting, but both of the apps now on the iPhone or the iPad, if you open the file in, if it's a long Word document, you know, you mm -hmm. got to read through it, you can tap the little reader view option there. And that sort of re, um, it rejiggers the text. It doesn't reformat. It doesn't change the document, but it shows it to you. It makes it, it lets you view it in a little bit of a different way so that it's a little bit easier to read on the screen. All right. Now I'm going to push you to your second answer. Yes. Which is? Let's go, let's go with what I generally call file management apps, or maybe more specifically, a PDF management app. So my favorite, at least on the iOS side, which is mostly for the iPad as well as the iPhone, is PDF Expert. It comes from a company uh, based out of Europe called Readle, R-E-A-D-D-L-E, -D -D -E, Readle. And PDF Expert is probably one of my favorite. There's other apps that can do this, like um, uh, Goodreader. There are, there's iAnnotate. If you are a firm that has a subscription to Acrobat DC, 
then yeah. you can get the free Acrobat, uh, Adobe Acrobat Reader app, I think is what it's called on there. But my favorite for a long time has been PDF Expert. They've continued to improve this app. This is one of the apps that I use for a multitude of different things, Mike. Number one is I will uh, sync folders on PDF Expert with folders in the cloud. So generally, if I need to access a file in Dropbox, I would open up the free Dropbox app on my iPhone or iPad, which is great. Right. I love it. But in some cases, I want to be able to take those files and store them locally on my iPad so that I don't have to connect to the right. internet in order to get access to those files. And in which case, I will use PDF Expert as a way to synchronize a folder from Dropbox or OneDrive or Box down locally to my iPad. I hope that makes mm -hmm. sense. It's similar yeah. to what we do on our computers. We have folders, local folders that we synchronize with Dropbox and Box. But that way, I have an offline copy or an mm -hmm. offline access. You know, I don't have to be connected to the internet. I have access to these files even when I'm not connected to the internet. I, I do this, for example, <laughs> remember the days we used to fly in airplanes? Boy, those, yes. those were the days. Yes. <laughs> but like before the iPad, if I was going to get on a plane, I would print a bunch of stuff out that I wanted to read right. while I was on the plane and, you know, then take my highlighters and everything and kind of try to fit them all on that little, you know, six inch by six inch tray in front of me on the, on the plane. But now today, I just make sure that I synchronize that folder from Dropbox onto my iPad and then all those files I know are locally available on the iPad. Jump on the plane and I have access to all of them. And what's great is that with PDF Expert, I can open those files. I can highlight text just like I would if I had it in printed form. I can write notes in the margin. I can add little sticky tabs on there. Mm -hmm. I can underline things. I can do all kinds of annotation capabilities with PDF Expert. And if that is a file stored in one of those synchronized folders, then when I land and I connect to the internet again, it will automatically synchronize all those changes back up into Dropbox. So that when I get back to my office, on my computer, all those changes are right there with those files. Perfect. Now I gotta ask for number three. So number three, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat just a little bit. I'm gonna generally call it note-taking. Uh, okay. Cause I got a couple of things real quick on this. Sure. Number one, what I call, the organizational or binder approach to note-taking. Right. <laughs> I think of it, if you, if you remember uh, back in the days, I used to carry a trapper keeper <laughs> binder with me to school. Okay. And I think of apps like Evernote or OneNote in a similar way like that. Although I will tell you today, I am going more and more to Microsoft OneNote. Again, it's a free app. You can sign up for a free account on Microsoft, but if you have it available with your Office 365 subscription. That's a better way to go. Right. But one, Microsoft OneNote allows you to organize notes as if you had a three-ring binder. You have notebooks, and then under each notebook, you have sections. You can think of it as those little uh, colored uh, tabs that you would put inside three-ring mm -hmm. notebooks. So you could flip to a different section. And then under each section in OneNote, you can have as many pages as you want. And these pages are almost... Um, uh, so extensible, uh, you can type notes in there, you can copy text in there, you can draw or handwrite notes in there, you can pull in pictures or even files in there. So OneNote is really, really fantastic in being able to uh, collect all your notes. Now, the other kind of notes that I think about is more of what I call the replacement for the yellow legal pad. 
right? Whereas right. OneNote certainly can replace your legal pad. It's more of like a big binder. It's like, it's like a, a place where I keep everything. But I will use an app like Notability is one of mm-hmm. my favorite or GoodNotes is another excellent yep. app. Very, yep. very similar. Notability or GoodNotes. Now, both of these I primarily use on my iPad, but you can certainly access them on your iPhone. Right. On the iPhone, though, I mostly just use it as a reference uh, capability. But with Notability, I will typically always use an Apple Pencil on my iPad because it literally will replace the yellow legal pad. I can go in, create a new note. I can type notes in there, but typically I'll just do handwrite, handwritten notes. I love taking notes like this at a conference because I can uh, take a picture of a slide that somebody is showing or a document and I can incorporate that into my notes. You can actually move your handwritten notes around and actually both of these apps today will allow you to convert your handwriting into editable text. Now, of course, your mileage may vary <laughs> depending on how, how good your, uh, or how clear your handwriting is. Sometimes it's not always the best with me. But that is a, uh, both of those apps, Notability and GoodNote, are very good for that. And then, and then lastly, I promise quickly on this, this is yep. really okay. exciting. Since I use a Mac, I have the Notes app available on my Mac. I also have a okay. Notes app available on my iPhone and my iPad. And frankly, today, this is almost like a, like a poor man's dictation uh, tool, Michael, but this is the way I use it, and it works wonderfully. If I am trying to write something and, you know, both you and I and many others that we know have, have worked with Dragon Dictation and have tried out Dictation right. in some forms or way, but the iPhone has and the iPad has built-in Siri Dictation. Right. And they have this Notes app. Or another one that I like to do this with is the Drafts app as well. It's yep. called Drafts. Yep. So I will pick up my phone. I will open up a blank Notes in the Notes app or the Drafts app. I'll dictate, right. which is really good. And I can walk around the room or go anywhere that I need to. When I get back to my desk, the Mac, uh, well, I can open up the notes app on my Mac and immediately all that text has now been transcribed and available for me to just to simply copy and paste into an email message or into a word document or something along those lines. So there's a few note taking tips that I mm-hmm. have for that. Well, while we're on smartphones, uh, let me just ask this one question. That's not part of the original question. So I had posted an article a week or two ago about whether or not you actually need to get a camera for your computer. In other words, another uh, web oh, interesting. for your, for, for your uh, computer. And I believe that if you have a, any, a smartphone or, or even a tablet device that they automatically come now. I, don't, I can't the picture of one that doesn't have a camera built in. But can you think of any reason why you may not want to use the camera or the app on your mobile device versus, I mean, your smartphone or your tablet uh, versus your computers or your laptop's internal camera? Uh, The only reason I can think to not do that, Michael, is because if I'm on a meeting, sometimes I want to check my phone, (laughs) right? And so, and and, and honestly, that's it because inevitably today, your smartphone has a better camera than what comes in almost any computer today yep. or laptop yep. today, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, um, it, 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 it's fairly easy to connect it into your computers. Now, the only thing that I would see, some people may have a little bit of a, of a, of a challenge in connecting it, you know, depending on the platform, whether it's Zoom or GoToMeeting or something like right. that, that you may have to like change 
the camera that is using, you know, that kind of a thing. But once you can get over that little hump, uh, absolutely. Uh, I would tell you not necessarily for uh, Zoom meetings or, or live meetings, but for me, because my camera, I've got an iPhone 11 Pro because that camera is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that instead of a separate camera, right? I mean, I could invest, you know, $1,500 into a nice DSLR and I probably right, will right. at some point, but the camera here is so good and it can take 4k video and you know, the wide angle on there now, I mean, it's, it's really, really excellent. So you know, it's really a great way to get started in doing some video. And it, it kind of takes that excuse. A lot of people have the excuse of, well, I got to get the right equipment and everything. Well, no, you don't. You already got a phone. It's got a great camera right. on it. Oh, yeah. And well, well, you can just start with it and go now. Well, let me just add a little DSLR uh, point and shoot camera. Right. And then, and was enjoying that for a couple of months. And then the phone came out with a camera and I'm kind of like, well, do I really need the camera anymore? And I, I, it's been sitting here for, <laughs> you know, as long as I've had it. Cause it's like, it's bulky. It's hard and whatnot, but the phone's been fantastic. Um, so if you're thinking about getting a DSLR camera, uh, you might want to hold off, but that's yeah. my opinion, of course. Um, right. But let's move to question number two. Uh, what are attorneys needing to focus on in discovery production uh, from a tech aspect? Yeah. Okay. So we're switching gears a little bit here Yes. from yes. the apps side, which is, which is great. Uh, although I think we'll talk some more about apps in a moment because it's always more fun. <laughs> but, right. But, but also, um, also, um, I mean, you feel free to focus on, you know, feel free to focus on apps as, as that is your, okay. your expertise, not your only expertise, but. Right. Well, so I guess as you could almost say like, you know, my, 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 my day job, if you will, is mm-hmm. I do have the privilege of working with a lot of law firms and corporate legal departments on e-discovery, right? Electronic discovery, right. which right. most everybody's going to know what we're talking about there. It just in general, it is the collection and preservation and production of evidence in mostly uh, civil litigation, although today there's pretty much no no matter or criminal or civil litigation that doesn't involve electronic evidence today, right? Which is what we're mm-hmm. talking about. So from that aspect, uh, just quickly, we can go through this. Uh, to me, the number one thing that I, I see that people need to focus on in discovery today is really, I just generally call it communication. And I, and I generally mean by that communication between both counsel, right? And talking about what kind of information do you have? Where is it located? How are you going to collect it? How are you going to produce it to a side? Now, I fully understand the adversarial roles that we play as, as counsel, especially when it comes to civil litigation and why you uh, play uh, different, different strategy uh, approaches to this. I fully understand all that. And I don't take anything away from that. That's part of, of what we do. That's the stance that you take when it comes to this. However, especially if you practice in any federal courts today, you are uh, going to be up uh, in front of a judge or a magistrate judge that is very knowledgeable about e-discovery issues. They don't want to waste their time on discover, managing discovery issues. Right. And so they are going to put their thumb down and make sure that both of the parties are discussing these issues, even to the point where, you know, you, you will, you, 
create what we call an ESI protocol, right? Mm -hmm. Some kind of a private agreement between the sides on how we are getting this information, how we are producing it. I mean, even down to like what metadata fields are we going to provide, that kind of a thing. I work with so many folks on both sides of litigation matters. Again, I fully realize why it's difficult to... Uh, to discuss this or want to discuss it. In fact, a lot of attorneys tell me, well, I don't want to call them and talk to them about e-discovery because their idea is, well, that's just going to open up a big can of worms that I don't want to deal with, right? I, I, right. If I ask for native production uh, files you know, from emails, then they're going to want us to provide native production, and I just don't want to deal with that. So they don't make the phone call. They don't do the communication. And then, of course, it comes to sometimes where it's too late. So I know that sounds a little, um, uh, you know, wishful thinking, if you will, that there's a communication. But another dirty C word that, that a lot of judges will put around is the cooperation aspect, right? Cooperating with both sides. I try to say communication because that, that C word usually sits a little bit easier <laughs> with lawyers yeah. other than cooperation. But, right. you know, there has even been a cooperation proclamation that a lot of federal judges have signed on. It's several years old now, but it's just this idea. It's like, you can't waste our time. Like, this is something you should be talking about. And frankly, just the last quickly thing on that, Michael, is I find, and the other reason people don't want to talk about it is because they're not comfortable with it. They don't understand what it means. So that leads me to my second little thing on this. The other thing that to focus on today primarily is emails. Now, email continues to be the primary source of potentially relevant electronically stored information in right. pretty much any litigation matter today. It, I used to say it's amazing what people will say in an email until social media came along, right? Right. But it, it still amazes me what people will put and type in an email message, things that they would never say to people face to face, things they would never pick up the phone and call somebody and say that over the phone. Both of those mediums, by the way, would never get recorded in any way. But yet they'll put that down in an email message that potentially will never be deleted. Right. It's on backup right. tapes. It could be sent to other people. So that continues to be one of the juiciest sources of potentially relevant uh, information today. So when it comes to email, two questions I just constantly drill into people. First of all, you want to ask, where is that email hosted? Is it hosted by their internet service provider? Is it hosted by Gmail? Do they have you know, a gmail.com email address or do they have another URL? Is it hosted by their, by their internet um, uh, web host? Is it hosted by a company? Is it hosted by a server? Just having that understanding of where email is being hosted. And then second, how is it being accessed? How, do, how, how does the people, the custodians you're talking to, how do they access that email? Okay. Do they use Outlook software? Do they go to a web browser and go to gmail.com? Because knowing the answers to both of those questions, where is it hosted, how is it accessed? That is going to give you a lot of direction on exactly how you're going to actually do the collection, preserve it, and then produce it to the All right, so we've got two. Uh, we need yeah. one more. I would throw in today social media, web content, and then even kind of text message. They're not all the same. Text messages is coming to be, I think, one of the biggest areas where people are asking me questions about. Um, I found a, a really great piece of software that I did a video about on my Apps in Law blog. The software is called iMazing. It's software that runs on Windows or a Mac computer. You plug an iPhone into it and you can 
export off text messages. And they come off in a beautifully formatted PDF with timestamps and everything involved with it, which is great because how are you preserving text messages today? The vast majority of people are doing screenshots, which many times may be fine, but if you need something else, there's a way that you can easily export those text messages. Perfect. But when it comes to social media and web mm -hmm. content, I will tell you a company that um, I've, I've worked with in the past, I think we're going to be doing a, uh, a webinar soon, is the, the company is called Page Freezer, as in like a web page or freezing the web page. But they have a really nifty um, uh, little Google Chrome plugin called Web Preserver, which is really good. I would just encourage anybody that has questions about preserving information to go and to look at Web Preserver. You can go to webpreserver.com. Or another different company, completely different company that I've worked with in the past is called Page Vault, just like it sounds, Page Vault. And basically, that's a service that they can preserve uh, Facebook profiles, LinkedIn profiles, YouTube videos. They can do that for you. So it just matter if you want somebody to do it for you or if you want to do it on your own, then something like Web Preserver. I have a question. This is a more of a technical nuance that I'm not quite ca um, capturing at the moment. I mean, what I would do, and I've come across you know, certain social media items that I needed to keep an eye out and right. also preserve. And I usually just take right. a screenshot. Yes. And in many cases, Michael, that might be perfectly fine, but I'm guessing you've never had to like, uh, authenticate that necessarily. Right. right. I, I don't know, obviously your situation, but right, the right. point being is like, I, I'm not saying that that's a bad way to go. I just make sure that you need to know as a legal professional, right? This is mm -hmm. part of our technology competence kind of an aspect. Right, right. When is a screenshot okay and good enough, mm -hmm. right? And in most cases, if you're doing like an investigative aspect, right? If you're looking, doing some, you know, uh, digging around on the other side and you just want to archive some things you found, perfectly fine for your own type of a use. But if you need to, for example, preserve a, a your client's, Facebook profile because you have to produce it to the other mm -hmm, side. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You may need to then go in and use one of these tools because not only okay. is it going to basically do a screenshot, but it comes with the accompanying metadata. It gives you a date and timestamp when you took it. It gives the URL that you did, your IP mm -hmm, address. Mm -hmm. Plus, it also gives you what we call um, a, a hash file or a digital signature. Right, right. Which basically, it just allows you to authenticate the fact that, yes, this was taken at this time and it hasn't been changed or modified. And, and, and quickly, by the way, on that, you know, another important component of this is also knowing when you took it because, as we all know today, any kind of a profile or a conversation, you know, or even like a YouTube video, how comments are constantly coming in and that changes the site. Like, you need to preserve it. Like, you know, somehow take a snapshot of that, right. if you will. And again, if a right, screenshot right. can work for you, that's great. Just know the pros and cons of using those if you need to prove, you know, this is what it says that it was. So Brett, for my last question, what are three apps that attorneys are underutilizing today? Yes, I'm glad to get back to apps, right? This is, this <laughs> right. is, a, lot, this is a lot more fun. Um, okay, so maybe I'll broaden this out just a little bit. When you say apps, I immediately go mobile apps, but Obviously, today that the line is blurring so much just simply because True. we have True. so much great synchronization between this. Yeah. Um, but I would tell you my number one thing, Michael, today that is both uh, a pain point I hear from others and a cringe point for me that people are not utilizing password managers yeah. more than they are. That has always been something. And 
again, I understand where the hesitation comes from. I understand some of the arguments against it. Like, you know, I don't want to forget this password and no, I've got a good password that I use for all my sites and it's really good password, but you're using the same password for all the websites. Password managers. Let me just go through them quickly. My password manager of choice mm -hmm. is one password. It's the numeral one and the word yep. password, one password. Yep. Now, frankly, that was true initially because I was a Mac user and an iPhone user and an iPad user, and it just worked on Macs. But one password now has gone to a synchronization tool on their back end, yep. extremely secure, and it works on the Windows aspects as well. If you're not sold on one password, the other one that I typically recommend, especially if you have never done password management in the past, is mm -hmm. LastPass. LastPass, okay. just like it sounds. Now, there's others out there, Dashlane and RoboForm and some of the others, but one password, definitely if you're an Apple fan or if you've got an iPhone or an iPad uh, or even a Windows computer along with those, but if you've got Apple products, if you're right. juggling apples, one password to me is, is uh, probably the best. But then LastPass is great if you've got a multitude of different types of devices and you, you've never done it before, LastPass might be an, an easier way to get up and going on this. So, so just quickly, I think most people know they've heard about password management before. Let, let me just put it, spin it this way a little bit because people think that the password management means that you're going to have to like remember multiple passwords or you've got to um, you know, uh, re have, have a backup password. You know, the point that I say, I know people have a very good password. Like they've come up with a good password over the years. It's a good password, but the problem, Michael, is that they use that good password on multiple, multiple mm -hmm. websites, right? Yep. Now, it's a good password, and you feel like that that's protecting you, except for the fact that, of course, we all know that even the best of companies today will somehow get compromised with, with you know, they're like TJ Maxx, Sony, however, whatever you want to go. You've seen them all, the headlines happen, uh -huh. and they're not going away. It's just going to get worse. The point that I say is that what happens in that situation is that somebody gets access to that list of passwords and sometimes your, your email address, right? So they can associate right. your email address, which is your login, with that password. Now, if you're using the same password for all these websites, what do you think somebody would do? with that list. They would say, well, it's a good bet that this password is going to be used in multiple sites. So they're going to mm -hmm. take your login information and that mm -hmm. password, and they're going to try to brute force tag other sites to see if they could get into other sites. I hope some of that makes sense. I'm not saying somebody's sitting there all the time, you know, looking after you and trying to, and, and trying to track you down and, and hack into your information. But the point is, if you have a password manager and this this comment typically gets people shaking in their boots, but it's so true. I don't even know what my passwords are for several websites, for most of the websites. Why? Because I have pass one password, create new passwords for all these different sites. And of course, I have one very, very good password that I use to get into one password. Right. But I have okay. one password, manage all those passwords. And it's crazy, like very odd, weird, like mixed up combinations of symbols and numbers and capital letters and, and, you know, lowercase letters. I don't even know what they are. 
I don't have to know what they are. That's the point. Because now, anytime that I go to a website, whether it's on my iPad, my Windows computer, mm -hmm. my Mac computer, mm -hmm. my iPhone, my Android device, I just pull up one password and it enters my information for me. It's great. In fact, even on my iPhone, right. I pull it up and if I am on Safari on my iPhone, I go to a website that needs my login mm -hmm. information. Now, one password is beautifully integrated into the iOS system. And because I've got the iPhone 11, I use face ID. So it doesn't, I don't even have to type in my one password because it looks at my, my face ID to actually lo log me into that website. And it's just great the way it goes in. So I know I've spent a lot of time on password management, but it's so critical and crucial. Maybe now more than ever to spend 15, 20 minutes of a day that you've got now working from home to invest into looking at what a password manager does. You don't have to jump whole hog into it at first. Just take maybe like, you know, a couple of New York Times site and the CNN.com. Just take a couple of sites and try it out. Like see what it can do for you so that you have a realization of how well it can work. One thing I'm going to add is that I, I too use one password. I've been using them for years. And um, along the lines of what you're talking about is that one password does monitor compromised websites that you're, you're involved with. Exactly. Pardon me. Vulnerable passwords, reused passwords, weak passwords, right. unsecured websites, and even those that are expiring. And, you know, Password managers can also serve as a little bit more, for instance, keeping uh, secure your personal information. Like I have my exactly. passport ID in there and it's even told me that my old one is expire is expiring in like two days, but you know, I have a yep. new one. Or, and so this is perfect because it keeps track of all those things. Um, so that's a little bit more than just a password manager. It can also provide you other important information. Like, like I said, those, those passwords that may be vulnerable to prying eyes or other outside parties trying to get access to your personal information. I, I, I'll add one quick tone on that, Michael. I sure. love this. My, my parents are both getting elderly now. Mm -hmm. And so we're start trying to switch over like some of the access to bank accounts and right. Amazon account and Kindle, right, right. And, and Kindle accounts and stuff. And I store all of that in one password because I know it's secure. I know I can access it from anywhere that I need to. My dad would call me up. He's like, son, I forgot the Wi-Fi password. Can you help me out? <laughs> you know, because literally he's written it down on pieces of paper that he loses in his office, right? Right. But I use one password as like the one place I go. Plus so much more that it can do exactly. All my credit card inf credit cards information are stored in there, pictures of it. So that if I lose a credit card, like right. I know exactly where to get in and like look for the number, like all that kind of aspect. Anyway, that's going beyond passwords, but it is almost like what you, what you just said, Michael, made me think of it. It's almost like a secure digital you know, wallet, if you will, right. or a secure right. digital enclave where I can access not just the password. And by the way, I share my password account with my wife, which mm -hmm. is great because if, you know, we, we, our bank accounts or shared accounts, you know, into you know, financial aspects or whatever, like I know that if any, you know, God forbid I get hit by a bus or something, like she right. could get into all that information now very easily because we share that across uh, that way. And, and you can share uh, connections, you know, like this, even with you, like your, your office colleagues, et cetera. So yeah, anyway, such well, an important component right now. You've got time to look into something. That would be the first thing I would definitely look at. Let me add one piece to that in the sense that you can also create different vaults for different groups. In other words, one for just you and your exactly. wife or one for you and your parents. 
Yes. And that your right. parents don't get access to the other vaults like your work stuff, but at least you'll have your family stuff or at least their stuff in one vault that I, I guess you're going to have to get them a, a smartphone with uh, one password to it. But that may be another well, story. <laughs> I'm pretty much be, I've become, pretty much become their smartphone. <laughs> they, they don't have access to it. Like they just call me now because they know that I've got access to everything. And hey, that's just part of growing old, I guess. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, forgive me for uh, picking on you a little bit. Um, <laughs> Not at all. Uh, so we so see we got the uh, the password manager, and I think we <laughs> we need spent a long to... time on that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. how about the others? Uh, quickly, uh, mind mapping. Love mind mapping. I don't think enough attorneys kind of look into it. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my favorite apps is called iThoughts, just like it sounds. iThoughts. Yep. Uh, um, I think the company is Toketaware, T-O-K-E-T-A, Toketaware. Mm -hmm. uh, love that. But there's many others. MindNode, I was just talking with an attorney up in uh, Michigan where he uses uh, MindMeister. It's, a, it's an online yeah. cloud-based mind mapping tool, which is great because he uses this to basically create little flow charts, if you, if you will, that he shares with his, uh, with his office staff. Uh, right. I, must say, I don't use an a mind map all the time, Michael. I still like sometimes, you know, having bullet point lists and outlines right. and things that I do. But if I'm starting to brainstorm something, I, I love the idea. I, I used to not do mind maps until the iPad came along. And I think that the difference was because I could just jot a bunch of stuff down into different bubbles on a mind map. But the iPad allowed me to physically use my finger to move these bubbles around, right? And it just, it just made sense to me. So again, I don't use it all the time, but it is, these apps are very, very powerful and just giving you the capability because you can even export it out as a bullet point list if you want to. Once you get it done, once you get sort of like this, this flow okay. going. But this, this gentleman that I talked with uh, up in Michigan, uh, he does a lot of consumer rights law for, for folks. And like, this is how he has his processes planned, right? If somebody comes All in right. with this question, this is the next thing to do, next thing to do, next thing to do. And he can assign those little bubbles out to, to uh, uh, folks in his office. Excellent. Excellent. So wait, we got one more. Yes. Before so I'll you tell go. you, yeah, another app that I have really started enjoying. I'm a big fan of anything on the productivity side, right? Productivity okay. apps, task apps, task tracking. I know all about getting things done. I know all about, you know, uh, 43 folders and all these kind of things that you can do from the productivity. OmniFocus is great. Uh, things mm -hmm. is another yep. app that's great. There's, you know, there's Todoist online. There's lots of these. But Michael, I always found that I, I would get a hang up. Like I would do, I would go great for like a week or so. And then it would just kind of fall apart a little bit. Right. Okay. I always just wanted a simple little way to, to, to create lists, if you will. Right. right? Almost like a post-it note or a little tiny pad where I could write things down. And I have found this in a wonderful little free app called Microsoft to do. Now this doesn't come from a Microsoft originally. When I used before this was a, was an app called Wonderlist, although it was out of Germany and it was spelled W-U-N. So I like, yeah. I like to say Wunderlist, Wunderlist. <laughs> so, so this was a fantastic app that did exactly what I just said. I could create whatever kind of list that I want. I didn't have to put a due date or a reminder date on it. I didn't have to like fit it within a square or a certain type of a list. I could create just a list of like either a shopping list or like my to-do list or like, okay, here are the three things I'm going to focus on today, right? Just whatever I wanted it to do, I could just make it work. Well, Microsoft purchased Wunderlist. They actually just uh, sunsetted 
the uh, the actual app, and then they have created Microsoft To Do. It's a free app. You can download it. It's wonderful. Again, if you have a free Microsoft account, then it right. synchronizes across all your devices: Windows, Mac, iPhone, iPad, Android. You can synchronize these lists, and I, I I just love it. You can put due dates on it. You can put reminders on it if you want to. Mm -hmm. You can say, I want this to show up in the My Day list, and that's the ones that you focus on. I, I just enjoy it so much because it's so simple and what it can do. It can be, you know, you can go crazy about it if you want to. I'm, I'm actually getting ready to post a video of it on my Apps and Law blog. That should probably be out in a week or so. But people can go and just kind of look at it and, and see what it looks like. I anticipate that Microsoft will keep it a standalone app, but they'll also incorporate some of the functionality into Outlook, right? So that we can use right. it as our to-do right. and, and task list there. But uh, I just encourage folks, people are always asking me, how do you keep track of things going on? There are some really, really high-end tools you can use mm -hmm. for this, but this is just sort of a simplistic aspect that basically anybody can use. Well, I, I think sometime in the future, you're not going to have to talk about daylight. Yes, I know. You're a big daylight fan. Yeah, which I've got, and I've got you on my podcast coming up very yes, soon, and I think yes. we were talking to some about that. So yeah, I invite people yeah. to look for that too. And I'm looking forward to hearing that. And I have a feeling both of our podcasts are going to drop at the same time um, or about the same time. But that's good timing. Uh, yeah, ex, ex, <laughs> I'm looking forward to both. That's for sure. Um, so, uh, Brett, before we let you go, where can people find you? So a couple of places I've mentioned uh, already, which I appreciate, Michael. Probably the, the fun place to go is Apps in Law. Com. That's my apps in law blog. I do little short video reviews of different apps on there mm -hmm. uh, along with the podcast, uh, which is great. I just did a couple of weeks ago a video on using Zoom on the iPhone and the iPad. And it's been mm -hmm. going gangbusters with a lot of people watching that. You know, just some tips on how to use that because a lot everybody's doing Zoom these days on there. Uh, my other website is BernieConsultants.com, but you can just find me through the apps in law blog. That's the best way to find it and the most fun way. Perfect. Well, again, Brett, I want to thank you. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Tech Savvy Laura Page podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself, learned something new, and we'll come back in about two Tuesdays for another podcast. If you have any ideas about the presentation, questions about what we discussed today, or ideas about future episodes, please leave comments on the blog or email me directly at michaeldj at the techsavvylawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.